the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. In 2005, a man named Bobby Henderson, uh, he wrote a satirical open letter to protest the state of Kansas permitting intelligent design to be taught as an alternative to evolution in public schools. In his letter, he demanded that science classrooms give equal opportunity to a being of his own creation known as the flying spaghetti monster. Now, many of us are familiar with the flying spaghetti monster. You've heard the satirical claims that we have just as much proof for a flying spaghetti monster as we might have for the existence of God. You might have seen the bumper stickers. I actually get a kick out of these, you know, because it's like everybody, there's a bumper sticker war going on in in some areas of the country. You see less of this around New England, but in some areas of the country, you'll see the Christian ichthus fish, and then you'll see like the 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 darwin fish where it's just a fish with like written darwin in the middle with like little legs growing out of it it's pretty humorous and then you'll see like uh the darwin fish with like a larger fish that has truth written in it eating the darwin fish and so christians are getting the final word and that and then sometimes you'll see one that just looks like a pile of noodles and it just has f s m on the middle in the middle of it saying flying spaghetti monster And so with this, he launched what's become known as the Pastafarian religion. It's people who satirically worship the flying spaghetti monster. Now this is definitely not a real religion, but it's meant to ridicule Christians who believe that an invisible God created the universe. They say that there's as much proof for the God of Christianity as there would be for a divine flying spaghetti monster. But, you know, this actually begs a really important question for us as Christians. And it's this. How can we believe in and worship a God whom we cannot see? How can we believe in and worship a God whom we cannot see? Do you think, let me just ask you, do you think that if we could actually see God, that you would have an easier time getting your friends and neighbors to consider converting to your religion? The answer seems rather obvious. It seems, sure. Maybe you yourselves have had doubt. It's about who God is because you can't see him. Maybe you resonate with the famous disciple Thomas, you know, the famous doubting Thomas, who 
said after the resurrection, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Our society is very skeptical of things in which we cannot see or feel or have empirical evidence for in that way. But that doesn't mean that they don't want to know God. A, a survey recently came out that asked, under what circumstances would you come back to church or attend a church again? And the number one answer was, if I could find a church that would help me to know how to experience God in a deep and profound way. Number one response, if I could find a church that would just help me to experience and to know God in a deep and profound way, then I would go. I would consider going. We are hungry to know who God is, but we have this challenge of him being invisible. And it's not a new challenge. It's a challenge that we've been carrying around since the Old Testament. When you read through the Old Testament, it's not like... You think about the Old Testament as a place where all these miracles and miraculous re revelations of who God is happen. You know, I often used to think as a young man, if God would only just appear to me like he appeared to Moses or appear to me like he appeared to, to Noah, or if he would just speak to me like that, obviously it would be so much easier to believe. But when you read the Old Testament, what you see in the Old Testament is that God never shows up in physical form like that, other than in the Garden of Eden where he used to walk in the cool of the day. You would see the messenger of the Lord, the angel of the Lord often come. God embodied as a person. It would often come in that way. But there seems to still be this big divide between who God is and how his people receive him. He's still unseen. There's this place in Exodus 33 where Moses is on top of a mountain, and he's begging the Lord. He's saying, show me your glory. He wants a full experience of the glory of God. And how does God respond? He says this. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. All my goodness will pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, but you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me, and live. So even here in the Old Testament, there's this idea that God is still not something that we can lay eyes upon or someone that we can lay eyes upon. After this, the Lord places Moses in the cleft of the rock and he covers him with his hand while he passes by. The Lord both reveals and conceals himself at the same time. We read in other places in the, in the Bible about uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the presence of the Lord. Uh, you, the famous story of Uzzah, who reaches out and touches it in an unworthy fashion, and he's struck dead at that moment. If you grew up in the 80s, then you might be familiar with the movie Indiana Jones, which had real-life fascists in it. Uh, the, the Nazis were trying to steal uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And at the end of the movie, I, spoiler alert, okay, uh, end of the movie, they actually do get the Ark of the Covenant, and they open the Ark of the Covenant, and they look, they're beaming, they're glowing, they're so excited about seeing what it is, and then in classic 80s fashion, their faces melt off, and one of the heads explodes. It's really, I watched it this morning, it's really <laughs> worth it. 
go and go and YouTube this if you haven't seen it before, not with the children around. Um, and you know, it's okay because they're Nazis. You know, you can do anything to Nazis in movies, and like, it's kind of plot armor, right? It's like, eh, Nazis, bad people, okay. Um, verse 18 in our text today. I've been a lot of flying spaghetti monsters and Nazis. All right. Um, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. If no one can see God, what are we to do? Are we hopeless? No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the right hand of the Father's side. He has made him known. This is talking about Jesus. And what John wants us to know is that Jesus is the full revelation of the person of God. That Jesus is God that we can see. He has revealed God to us. Here's the reality, my friends. You can believe something that you have never seen. You can believe something that you've never seen. No one in this room has ever seen George Washington. Yet, we believe that he was the first president of the United States and led the Revolutionary Army. We believe what we've learned about George Washington, and why do we believe those things? Because it was taught to us by those who were eyewitnesses, who wrote the things down, and it was passed down to us. You cannot observe history. It must be recorded and passed down. We also believe things like gravity. Why do we believe gravity? Because we see the effects of gravity. And we understand that it must exist because we're all sitting and not floating. Our friends might say, if I could just see God, I would believe in him. But I'm not so sure that's true. Let's look at the passage again. Let's, let's see what it has to say about this. Verse 9, back to the top. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So this passage says that Jesus is the true light that gives light to everyone. That means he is, he is illuminating everyone. Was coming into the world that he created. What an amazing picture that the, that the Lord of all the universe is coming into the world that he created. The one true author has written himself into the story. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So this passage is teaching us that God has revealed him, people uh, himself. God, people did see him. The author of creation came into the world, and what happened? He was rejected. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Thousands of people witnessed the miracles of Jesus. They witnessed him undoing the effects of the fall. They witnessed him calming the storm. They witnessed him feeding the thousands, turning the, the water into wine. They witnessed him healing person after person, casting out demons. They witnessed all of these miraculous signs, and what did they do? They did not receive him. Instead, they screamed, crucify him. Those in which he came to save did not want to be saved, 
Instead, they killed our Lord. Seeing is not necessarily believing. Jesus illustrates this with the story of Lazarus and the rich man from Luke 16. In this story, a rich man dies and he goes to hell. And he sees Abraham in heaven. And this is all just a story to communicate a point. It's not actually like exactly everything that you see here. I don't know if you're going to be able to communicate with Father Abraham from hell. Um, but he is, sees Abraham in, from heaven, in heaven while he's in hell. And he begs Abraham and he says, please send messengers to my brothers and sisters, to my family, and tell them to listen. Tell them to come. And this is how Abraham responds. Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, they won't hear him either. And Jesus is telling this story to help us to understand that even if someone was to raise from the dead, as he did, that not everyone would receive him. Anyone who's tried to share their faith, and there are many of us here who have very thoughtful faith, and if you're here today and you haven't worked through these questions, there are many people in this room, we are in Somerville, Massachusetts, who have worked through the intellectual uh, struggles that come with following Christ. And there are many of us here who have tried to share our faith with friends and family members and explain how it's reasonable how we have eyewitness testimony of what God has done through Jesus Christ, and it's reliable. We can read these things, and, and there's reason to believe it. And not only that, we have the indirect evidence of the creation of the world and all the ways that the Lord has revealed himself through creation and then through direct revelation of his word and eyewitness testimony. And we can explain all these things. We can have a lock-type argument. And unless someone's heart has been pricked by the Lord, they're going to reject it, almost always. They're going to say, still, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I don't see. Unless God moves in their heart, they're not going to come to faith. Romans 10 tells us that faith does not come from seeing, but from hearing. Because sometimes we do all of that. And what does the Lord do? But he opens their heart to see themselves as they should be seen. The true light shines in the dark places of their heart. And they understand the Lord's love for them. They go to him. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. John 20, verse 29, Jesus says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. My friends, Jesus is talking about you and I. Who did not get to physically witness the miracles and the Christ. But he says that we are blessed because we have not seen, and yet we believe. 1 Peter 1, 8 through 8-9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Isn't that such good news? That we can have a God that we have never seen, and be filled with the glory and have the, the joy that comes with it. Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Isn't that good news? That this is what he gives to us as we trust 
in him, the author of the passage today, is saying that Jesus is the full revelation of the invisible God, that God has actually revealed himself. And if you want to know what God is like, look no further than Jesus. Look no further than Jesus. But isn't it surprising what God is actually like? When you look at Christ, isn't it surprising? You know, when a, when a pope visits a city, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance that goes with it. And he's in a special bulletproof vehicle, and they have parades for him. There's a lot that goes into that re reception of the important figure that he is. When the Milwaukee Bucks trade for Damian Lillard, this is an illustration that only like five of you will get, but I'm going to give it anyways because I love it. Uh, I'm a basketball guy. They traded for Damian Lillard. He's like marginally a top 20 player at this point in his career, okay? Not like the greatest, he's not, there's a reason you haven't heard about him, okay? He's not like the greatest ever. He's really good. They traded for him. He gets to the Milwaukee training facility, and there are 5,000 Wisconsin fans there to receive him. He, he rolls in with a motorcade. I mean, they're having, like, the marching bands come out and celebrate the arrival of their new basketball player. But how did Jesus come into this world? But as a child from an unwed teenage mother in a stable with animals. How did he live his life? Not as a king, but as a carpenter. As someone from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? a podunk town in the middle of nowhere. He came, and though he was a great teacher, the religious leaders rejected him his entire life. He was never going to be the big Instagram star that many people longed to be. It's surprising to see who Jesus is. Associating with the lowly is not wealthy. He lived a humble life. This is not the God we expect, is it? But it tells us a lot about who God is. You see, Jesus is very different than the flying spaghetti monster. No one, let me, let me make this really clear to you in case you're on the, on the fence about this. No one, though you cannot see God, no one is expecting you to have blind faith. We're not just saying jump into this. There's lots of reasons why we can believe in God more than we can believe in a flying spaghetti monster. We have the evidences that the world was created by God, and then we have the eyewitness testimony of who Jesus is. Jesus was a real person who embodied who God is. He didn't only embody it, he was God in the flesh. God has revealed himself to us, though we did not receive him, he was rejected, but also resurrected. This is at the heart of the gospel. God has revealed himself through Jesus. Christianity is not just a set of moral rules to live by. You can get those from a variety of different religions. You can get those from secular uh, life and a code of conduct that you might have. Nor is, nor is Christianity an opportunity for just a religious experience. Many people code, go to Christianity looking for that religious experience. I have, fr I have friends also, though, who might join a cult and have a religious experience. I've seen a lot of Netflix documentaries about this. I have a neighbor who could sell you some mushrooms that would probably give you a religious experience as well. Christianity is about 
receiving the God that has been revealed in Jesus Christ. That God has actually revealed himself, and it's through Jesus. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. So last week we covered the word, and we explained why the word is God and is Jesus. And this week it says, and the word dwelt among us. Now, if you've been in church for a little while, you might have heard this before, but this word dwelt is used throughout the Old Testament um, with the equivalent Hebrew word to mean tabernacle. The word tabernacled among us. The The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. If you're a first century Jew and you're reading this, in the, in the original languages. This is going to be very significant because you're familiar with the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is, the, is this um, large tent that the Jewish people would carry around in the wilderness and all the way into the promised land. And when they would set up the tent, they would set up the Holy of the Holies. It was a precursor to the temple. The temple was built off the dimensions for the, the uh, tabernacle. And in the Holy of the Holies, they would put the, the Ark of the Covenant, and it was just a series of perfect squares that they would get down to where God his presence dwelt with them, and the, the um, pillar of smoke would come and rest upon the temple and fill the temple with the glory of God. And John is saying that Jesus tabernacled among us, that the glory of God was present and filled us at that time. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the glory of the Father. Moses was begging, saying, show me your goodness, which I think is just really awesome, that when, when Moses begs, show me your glory, how does God respond? He says, I'll have all of my goodness pass before you. You see, the glory of God is connected directly to the goodness of God. And so when it says that Jesus is the glory, Moses was begging to see the glory of God, and John says, you have it. You have it. It's yours. You've seen his glory. Now only in part, but one day in full. Now all this is very exciting to me, obviously. I think it's really exciting and cool that God has revealed himself uh, through the person of Jesus. It's really great. But friends, this is what I've come to realize, that this isn't even half of the good news. You know, on some days I might think, Wow, that's really amazing that God would reveal himself like that. The author of creation would come into the creation. That's really awesome. But that's just part of it. It's far better than that. The the rest of it, the full good news, is almost too good to be believed. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of, of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Not only has God revealed himself to us, but this second part, never let this grow old. He's adopted us as children. I want us to all imagine that we live in the Middle Ages, somewhere in Europe or wherever, and there's a king of the land. Now, no one really gets to see the king. He doesn't leave his castle very often, but you are a poor orphan child 
in a lowly village out in the middle of nowhere. And one day you get a message to the village, everybody hears that the king is going to be just riding through on his way to another city. But, you know, he comes with this whole entourage, and when the king goes through a place, he, he gives out gifts, and when he goes through a place, it's more wealth than anyone has ever seen in this village, not just at one time, but throughout the course of their life combined. I mean, there's just, it's, everything's coated in gold. It is more wealthy than you could ever imagine. And so when they come through, they've got like a crowd almost like welcoming Dame Lillard to Milwaukee here, okay? They, they've got everybody in the village comes out to see the king roll through. This is not just the highlight of the year for many people. This is the highlight of the lives of many people. They will never get to see this type of ornate uh, vehicles. You know, they're coming in on carriages drawn by, by horses. And I mean, this is just an immense experience. No one's going to miss it. And so you as the poor orphan child are there watching. And this is an honor just to get to lay eyes on the king. But then as the king rolls through, he stops the carriage. He orders it to be stopped right in front of you. And he steps down off the carriage, and he walks straight up to you, the poor orphan child. Now, this is an honor. Everybody's gasping. And he bends down, and he says, I would like to adopt you as a child, if you'll have me. That's the gospel. Not just that we get to see him, but that we get the full rights to be called a child of God. From that day forward, you know to whom you belong. You have full protection of a child of the king. You have a full inheritance of the child of the king. Sure, it's an honor to see him, but to be received by him, to be welcomed as a child. This is what our God has done. He sent his son into the world to live the life that we should live, that we never could, to live a perfect life and to die the death of a sinner so that we can have the great switcheroo, so that his righteousness becomes ours and he takes on our sin. Our sin is paid for and we are united with Christ and adopted as a child. This is the gospel. Not that God has merely revealed himself to us, but that he's adopted us. Hear it again. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave, right, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, not of blood. That means that you were not born by natural means. You were not naturally born as a child of the king. It doesn't matter who your parents are, in other words. For Christianity, it doesn't matter how wealthy of a family you came from. It doesn't matter where you came from. This is a message for all people everywhere, every nation, tribe, and tongue. It does not matter. You were born not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, meaning you can't earn this. You can't do anything. You can't be over there juggling so that the king might want to bring you in. He might want to bring you in as a jester, but he wouldn't bring you in as a child. You cannot earn this either, nor the will of man, but of God, his sovereign choice and him waking us up to that reality of his love. The only way 
you, become, you can, be, can become a child of God is by hearing the message of Jesus and by receiving him, to believe in his name. This is not simply acknowledging his existence, but his name uh, embodies who he is. It's kind of like saying, my friend, he has a good name in the community. He's well known. His name embodies his, his essence of who he is. So we have to receive his name. To be a child of God is what we get. And what does it mean to be a child of God? I have three children. I have some just general facts about children for you. They're needy, but they lack all cynicism. They'll believe anything. My kids love magic shows because it's like really happening. They're not cynical like we are, but they're needy. And here's another thing about children. They're not in charge, though they think they are often. They're not in charge. They only think that they are because we, we give them that ability to think that they are. And friends, the gospel is that we must become like children, that you're not in charge of your life, that you have a father who knows better than you do, and that you have to relinquish control to him. You have to let go of your life. It's a joy to do so because you trust your father so much. You receive him to take care of you, to provide for you, to hold you close when you're hurting, to give you good counsel when you're confused. You know, I have three kids of varying ages, 10, 7, almost 3, and they need different things from me at this point. My older kids need, and, and really, in, in proportion to how old they are, need more emotional bandwidth from me. And sometimes that's, that's so much harder to give than what my two-year-old needs, which is a, you know, my two-year-old has a new trick. I can tell stories about my kids as long as they're in diapers, okay? So he's, he's potty training, so we're still good. Um, he, his trick is, I just say, Rowan, I love you. And he says, I love you too, Dada. And then he gives me a big hug. And that's just so simple, and it's one of the joys in life. Many of us are at the point in our spiritual maturity where we, and you know, even as an adult, you need a hug from your, your father sometimes. But that's all we can receive. And so sometimes we need to just go to him and receive that. But then for many of us, we need to rest on the counsel of the Lord, on the emotional bandwidth that he does give to us, the care and provision that he has for us as we continue with our Christian life. Your relationship with God will probably change over time. I know many people who are just wishing that they could stay like the two-year-old in their spiritual life, but friends, I, I encourage you that this is not one of those things where you grow cold with your parents as you go older, but it grows more deep and meaningful as the hug is informed by more of understanding his character and how much he cares for you. So God is a father to us in every way that he is a father to Jesus. So let us go to him as a father to trust in him and to enjoy his presence, which has been given to us. I'm going to end with a quote from J.I. Packer. He says, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. 
If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. You, my friends, you have received him, our child of God. He invites you this morning, if you have received him, to the communion table. Uh, we, if you are a believer here today, we would uh, welcome you to participate in this communion meal. And what I mean by a believer is someone who says, Jesus alone has paid for my sin, that I live my life for him. I have relinquished control. I believe he rose on the third day and that I am following him with my entire life. And if that is you today, we invite you to receive this communion meal along with us. So church, let us stand and pray as we prepare to respond in song and, and at the table. Jesus, as we prepare to receive this meal this morning, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us. That, that revelation, we know it continues. We know you're still revealing yourself through the heart of many of those here, that we would have a sense of the Holy Spirit as we sing your praises, as we respond to you. God, I pray for anyone who doesn't know you, who hasn't come to a, a true faith in you and been adopted as a child in that fashion. I pray that you would help them now to process where they're at with you and to give their lives to you fully. And God, we pray that our worship would be pleasing to your ears, that you would be magnified and glorified this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.